Hey, well, welcome back uh, to uh, week five of our series, Right in the Eye, Right in the Eye. We are going to wrap up this series next week, so don't miss next week. I don't know about you, but I have personally learned a lot from this series. Uh, Just because I preach it um, doesn't mean I still can't learn from it myself, because that is the benefit of teaching God's truth, is I get to learn with you as we work through it. Now, if you have uh, a part of this series, or maybe today's message part of it, or something that you want to share, you can share with your boss, your roommate, your in-laws. You think of somebody that needs this, because let's be honest, we think more about other people that need it than try to figure out how it applies to us. Um, You can always go to our app. You can share it, watch it there, or our website. Find uh, the video and the audio, and you can share that to your friends and family members. And then some of you have mentioned to me, like, this is really interesting. We were working through an entire book of the Bible, and I would be interested in reading my Bible more, which I say, hey, go for it. Two options for you is to pick up a story Bible, and when we normally meet in person, we offer that um, for you to buy, but obviously we can't meet in person, so you go to Amazon, pick up the story Bible. It reads like a story, or to get maybe a bit more in-depth, you can get a study Bible because it's not only the Bible, but then it's some content and extras that help put some context to what's happening in the story because it can be intimidating to read the Bible, but like we're kind of finding out in this story, it can be very interesting to learn as well. Now, I don't know if this is ever you, um, but maybe you have had the experience of having a bit of this inner tension, an inner debate about what you want to do versus what is the right thing to do. Have you ever had that dilemma inside and trying to figure that out? Uh, To help illustrate it, I picked up some memes uh, that I think are kind of applicable and starting with the concept or the topic of uh, homework, right? It's one of those things that we know we should do, but we really don't want to do it. And so here's a meme with uh, Willy Wonka. Oh, you didn't have the time to do your homework. Tell me again about the three hours you spent on your phone. Anybody? Anybody? Or this one on the topic of eating healthy. Eat your vegetables so you can be big and strong, just like them cookies. Because ultimately, we'd rather have that than the broccoli, right? Or I don't know, for some of you out there, oil change kind of people, um, it's like for whatever reason, you know you need to get an oil change, but that's like the last thing that you want to do, and you're trying to figure out how far can I go over before something bad happens, because who wants to sit for an hour waiting for the oil change? Here's uh, something like that. I noticed you went 8,000 miles past your oil change. I, too, like to live dangerously. So to put all of that kind of in a question form, to put this inner tension in a question form, here's the question that I kind of want to start off with today. And the question is this. What do you do, what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong. Gonna have to, sorry, slide, my fault, I messed up. Um, They'll get it fixed though, just watch. Like takes them about two seconds to figure out Tay messed up and then, yeah, there they go, yeah. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? Because you know it's wrong, but then there's like the whole other half of you that's like, yeah, but I really wanna do it. And I really honestly probably don't need to explain this very much because you know this, right? You've looked at him, you've looked at her, probably a bit too long, and you're like, there's a part of me that kind of wants that, even though I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't, but you do. Or I just 
want that little extra cash or you're kind of in a position in your work where you have access to, to money or you have access to gifts or things and you sit there thinking to yourself, I think it's wrong, but I kind of, you know, I just take a couple bucks here, there, or put that on the company card or whatever it is. Or, you know, you just did that one thing that one night and you promised yourself it was just going to be one night, but then it became many nights and now you can't stop even though you sit there and you're like, ah, I know it's wrong. And if you do whatever that is long enough, eventually you get to the point where you're kind of just kind of indifferent to it. It doesn't, you know, uh, bring up that moral filter in your mind and your heart anymore. It's just kind of the way of life. And once in a while you sit there and contemplate this dilemma and you think to yourself, I probably should stop doing that. But it's just become a part of your life now. And kind of as we learned last week, that the problem with that indifference is it does cost you. It is a problem. There are consequences to your decisions, especially if you're choosing the wrong things. And let's be honest, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is a reality we all face. And so that's why today we're going to talk about the experience. We're going to talk about the story of a man named Samson. Samson is today's character, and there is a lot we can learn from the story of Samson. Now, we don't have enough time to get through the entirety of his story. It's a few pages, chapters rather long, um, but we're going to definitely summarize it and take away some key points. Samson, um, and we probably don't think of him in these terms, uh, especially if you grew up in church and you're familiar with the story of Samson. He was actually a judge in the book of Judges. We don't think of him like that, um, but he was uh, a judge and he was best known for his, anybody? Strength. Yeah, two people got it in here. The rest of us are going to learn today about Samson. Uh, yeah, so he had incredible strength, and he lived in the period of the Judges, and we've looked at this every single Sunday. The period of the Judges was not only a book in the Bible, but it was a, a part of Israel, the nation of Israel's history, about 300 years between uh, the story of Joshua in about 1300 BC and the story of uh, the kings like Saul and Solomon and, and those guys, King David. Uh, and so there's this 300-year period where the nation of Israel was supposed to be ruled by some judges. Actually, God was supposed to be their king, but when they messed up, God would raise up some judges to fix things. And so he raised up Samson in the hopes of fixing things. And we'll see how that works out today. But the problem was, there was this bad cycle that the nation of Israel was in. And it's kind of like what happens, at least for me, when I give our dogs a bath. You know, you give them a bath and you clean them up and you fix them and you make everything right. And then you send them outside to go have fun. And what is the first thing they do? Find something dead and roll in it. And then they come right back in, right? And you're like, what am I going to do with you? You keep doing this over and over again. And for your cat people, the answer is not to get a cat. That is not a solution, okay? Dogs are the best way to go, but they are kind of like the Israelites in the time of the judges. So Samson actually is one of the last judges in the period of the judges, uh, at least as the story of the book goes, okay? And just kind of like the book, his life is like where they are as a nation. It started really well, and there are some honorable judges doing the right things and trying to get the nation back on course. And now we've reached the point where we are just in free fall down 
hill. And to illustrate that, we'll kind of look at a map to kind of give us some bearings of where we are. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This is the modern day nation of Israel. Tel Aviv, the modern uh, city of Tel Aviv is kind of up here. Over here we got Bethlehem. Okay, we're going to spend the majority of our time right in here with the city of Timnah and Zorah and Beth Shemesh and then Ashkelon. And here's Gaza. And you might be familiar with the Gaza Strip down or the modern day Gaza Strip. In other words, this is the nation of Israel, but the nation of Israel is occupied at this point in the story by some people called the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were a coastal people, so they lived along the coast, and they occupied uh, the area uh, of the coast of modern-day Israel, where Tel Aviv is, for example, etc. There's many ruins, and we've learned a lot about the Philistines. A really fascinating thing for those of you who are kind of like Bible and history nerds is to Google what's known as the sea people. That's all you got to put in Google, sea people, okay? And we believe they're kind of this abstract um, group of people. We're not really sure where they entirely came from, but we're pretty sure the Philistines were descendants of these sea people who made real a lot of trouble for the nation of Egypt as well as the Israelites. And so anyways, um, so the nation of Israel is occupied essentially by the Philistines at this point, and they're uh, militarily occupied. And Samson grows up on the border between the, the official nation of Philistine and the occupied nation of Israel. So that's where the story starts. And the story starts as many stories in, um, in the Bible do, uh, where there is a husband and wife, and they aren't able to have kids. And that was a real strain on a marriage because it essentially made uh, people think that there was something wrong with you, that God had cursed you. And so obviously the Samson's parents aren't feeling too great about themselves. And along comes an angel. And the angel says uh, to the parents, you are primarily the, the mom actually uh, at first and says, you are going to have an amazing son, but here's the deal because there's a catch. You cannot, and then he cannot, drink anything that's fermented, so no alcohol. You cannot eat anything that is unclean. And then this is a really important thing, specifically when Samson is born, you cannot cut his hair. Because he is going to take, for his entire life, the Nazarite commitment. This was a commitment, a decision, um, a, a, a vow, the Nazarite vow, that was unique, that essentially was something that people would maybe take for a month or a few weeks or maybe even a year at longest in an attempt to get God's attention. But Samson was unique in that it was supposed to be for his entire life, that he was not supposed to drink anything fermented, nothing unclean, and to not cut his hair. And if he did that, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God would rest on Samson and grant him amazing strength. Now, if you grew up reading the story Bible like me, you imagine Samson as this big, buff, warrior guy. But my assumption, as I've heard other people talk about, is that he probably wasn't anything special. In fact, he probably looked like me, somebody who hasn't lifted weights since high school, okay? But out of this, you know, not a very buff guy, um, he could do amazing feats, you know? He didn't work out, but he could pick up a car kind of thing, and you're just sitting there like, wow, that's amazing, because I didn't expect that from such a puny-looking guy. 
You tracking with me? Okay, so anyways, but now before we get too far into the story of Samson, I just need to set this up by saying this one simple thing. And if you know the, if you know the story of Samson, I don't want you to be offended about this because you could be like, hey, that doesn't apply to me, but I think this actually applies to us really well. Here's, here's my thing about the story of Samson. The story of Samson was a reflection of Israel then and often our lives now, that if you took the entire story of Samson and his life, it was like a microcosm. It was an example of the entire nation of Israel and often our lives today. Not in like the details of the story, because you're going to hear the details and be like, I'm not that dumb, okay? But the underlying issues, the heart issues of Samson's life. And this specifically, the issue being that he took advantage of God's blessings. And I think Jesus follower or not, even if you have no faith, because I get that this concept could be difficult if you really don't believe there's a God, because then there wouldn't be God's blessings. But I just want you to consider what if God had given you, has given you, or has played a role in giving you the skills and abilities that you have. And I realize you're thinking to yourself, Taylor, I'm not an Olympic athlete. I have no amazing skills or anything. But I would argue that there are people that care about you. There are people that appreciate having you in their lives, that you mean something to them, that you have experiences that very few people have. You have influence in people's lives that nobody else has, that you have connections that nobody else has. And in so you are special, in so that you have blessings, that you have a unique role and a unique part to play, that you have blessings. Now, I realize many of us may not think of this in that way, but I would argue to you that, in fact, you have one blessing that is pretty incredible, and that is that you have a body. And I know you're like, wow, that's really anticlimactic, Taylor. But I would say all your words, all the messages you've ever typed, all the skills that you have, all the relationships that you've built, good and bad, have all come through your body. Think about the significance of this gift that you have been given. Though I realize for some of us, you would think to yourself, that feels really strange. I don't see my body as a gift. I don't see my hands and fingers and toes and eyes and ears and mouth as a gift. Christian or not, I want you to consider at least for the next few minutes that there is a gift, an opportunity, an amazing ability that you have and I realize some of you are in a season of life or a time in your life or always have been in a season where your body has not worked well. That it's kind of, you know, dwindling as you get there in age and it's coming to a place where you aren't desiring the changes that are happening to you. I don't know your situation, so I don't want to assume. But even broken bodies can tell amazing stories and do amazing things. You've seen it, especially in the digital world of social media, that I would argue, just like Samson, we have an amazing blessing in this body, the bodies that we have. Now, Samson, like the nation of Israel, I would say was a microcosm of them because I think the nation of Israel and I think you have amazing strength. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the amazing blessings that God has given you? Are you going to just use them or are you going to make meaningful light to the world kind of differences with it? Now, Samson chose to use it 
for his advantage. Samson chose to do what he wanted, when he wanted, with whom he wanted, to do essentially what was right in his own eyes, because that's the theme of this whole story. That's the theme that comes up continuously in the Bible, or the, uh, the story of Judges. The nation of Israel uh, had no king in those days, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it led to, and it has led to, as we've read this story, chaos. Samson even, a little fun fact for you, even his name embodied the fact that he kind of had one foot in God's blessing and he had another foot in doing what was right in his own eyes. Because in all the names in the entire Bible, Samson is the only one that ends in S-O-N because his name was a combination of, and looking at this map, this little town, see he grew up right around here, this little town named Beth Shemesh, or in other words, the town of the sun or the sun God, because there was a temple to the God, the pagan God of the sun. And so his parents had pulled this name of the God of the sun and incorporated it into Samson's name. He had one foot in doing what everybody else was doing and another foot in God's blessing, even in his own name. Now, I know you, you would never take advantage of God's blessing. I know you would never let your body rule over your heart. But just in case, just in case you've ever had an issue or know anyone who's ever had an issue with taking advantage of blessings or being ungrateful or a little selfish, okay? Just in case you mean, meet anybody who struggled with the blessings that they have in their life, let's jump in to the story of Samson. Now, the story picks up. He's uh, older now. He's grown up. He's in the military, okay? He's kind of a border guard, so to speak, with, um, with the Philistines, okay? And he always wants what he can't have. So he goes down to a city called Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he went to his father and mother. When he got back to Israel, went to his father and mother and said, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Really sensitive, uh, kind person, I would say. Get her for my wife. Uh, I'm, and then it goes on. It says, his father and his mother replied, because they were kind of freaked out by this. He's going and, and hanging out with the people that he shouldn't. Replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? I know that sounds weird, but in those days it was pretty common. Or among all our people. In other words, you have the entire nation of Israel. Couldn't you have just picked one Samson? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? In other words, must you go to the people who are not ourselves? And I just want to be clear here because some people are like, well, that's the God of the Old Testament, that mean God who's like, everybody's bad, but the Israelites are good and kind of draws lines between people groups. No, God isn't against the other people. In fact, he specifically tells the nation of Israel, they're supposed to be a light. They're supposed to be a blessing to the entire world. What he was against was other gods because these other gods, the other gods of like the Philistines often would involve things and behaviors that were not that of God. They would require human sacrifice and just really bad things. And so God knew, as let's be honest, you and I know that once somebody gets into an intimate relationship with someone, they turn up, they start going, you know, to somebody else's, you know, their church and they kind of walk away from their church because now they're together. You kind of know how that works. And God knew that before you know it, you know, Samson will be down there in the temple of the, the sun God and worshiping. And that's just probably not the best thing for Samson. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. 
And this right here, the little Hebrew phrasing that's going on right here is essentially the same phrasing that we see throughout the book of Judges. She is what's right in my eye. Go and get her for me. And so begins the story of Samson. It's body wanting one thing where his heart should have known it wasn't the best. And of course, like all the stories we've read so far, it kind of ends in a bit of chaos. Not exactly surprising. So he goes, they get married, they go down to her temple in, in Philistia, and they get married at her place, okay? And they're having a big party, and the Philistines are all there. Um, and so Samson's going to take this opportunity with all the Philistines there to mess with them at the party. So he tells them a riddle and says, if you win this riddle, I'll do some things for you. If, if you lose the riddle, then you have to do some things for me. And so the Philistines went to Samson's new wife and said, hey, you're one of us. You should figure out the answer to the riddle because we can't figure out the answer to the riddle. And so she goes uh, to Samson and says, you know, Samson, you need to, uh, you know, give me the answer. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Let me give you, you know, and blah, blah, blah. You, get, you get what I'm saying. Okay. And he, she gets the answer, coaxes the answer is what it says out of him. Goes and tells the Philistines. The Philistines come back and say, hey, we figured out the answer. And he's like, you tricked me. So Samson beats them up and they weren't happy about that. And so they take uh, his wife from him, uh, his new wife from him and kind of like hide her away. Okay. And so then he's really upset that they've taken the wife. So he goes and ties some torches to, the, the, uh, to a bunch of foxes and lets the foxes go through the fields of the Philistines, essentially burning their fields uh, to the ground. And you, it, it's called agro terrorism and you think to yourself that's just like a ridiculous crazy story and then you go to google and you google gaza balloons that's all you got to google gaza balloons and you realize oh my gosh in modern day times they're sending balloons up to light israeli fields on fire and agro-terrorism i mean 2000 3000 years from now people are going to look back and like balloons they did what that's just crazy but hey it's the time in which we live so Essentially, the Philistines are really upset because Samson's, you know, impacted their economy and burned down all these fields. Okay, so they take his wife and burn her alive. And so it doesn't work out. So Samson goes and finds another lady friend and upsets the Philistines even more and uses his strength, his God-given strength to get out of it. Okay, and then the story slows way down when Samson meets a very special someone. And here's what the author of Judges says. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. It's pretty good for you radio people, wasn't it? <clears throat> Delilah, okay? And you're going to hear the next few minutes of the story, and you're going to think to yourself, this is ridiculous. You're going to think to yourself, how can one man be so dumb. How can one man be so sexually passionate, so filled with the desires of his body that he would give in to one woman over and over and over again? And it's like he couldn't even see straight. He was so infatuated with this one woman to which all the men here in the room and probably watching online would say to, yourself, to, to you all, it's possible. May sound crazy, but it's possible. Okay. Now, it doesn't say in the story, but we can probably assume there was a lot of drinking involved in this and a lot of passionate lovemaking. That's what we're going to call it for, to make it somewhat family friendly, uh, going on throughout the entirety of this story. Okay. And it happens again and again. Now, 
Personally, I've been doing this pastoring thing long enough, and I've heard the stories, and I've helped people pick up the, the pieces, that even as ridiculous as the story may sound, I'm telling you, it sometimes feels a bit almost more like the normal for how we have carried out or continue to carry out relationships in our day-to-day lives. And before you ladies think, oh my gosh, I like this message. It's all about men, you know, not thinking clearly. We'll just say, ladies, you're kind of on the hook with this too, because you kind of are complicit in us men having an issue with sometimes having a one-track mind. And we're going to have a little mini sermon here in for, for a moment, but I think it's really important to kind of take a second to talk about the fact that, ladies, you know men's desires, okay? And sometimes you will leverage your body and your looks and your, you know, abilities to draw men into relationships that are unhealthy, that are built on, foundationed upon something that is not long-term sustainable, that is not healthy. Instead of setting up boundaries between you and a man to say, this is where I draw the line. I have a boundary here. And if you want to talk about boundaries, that's what we're going to talk about in the month of August. So come back in the month of August. We're going to talk about boundaries, okay? Men will tell you again and again that, you know, we need it. You know, we, we want it really badly. Please, 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 and, and beg, okay? Just a reminder, men need water, Men need food, men need shelter, and sometimes a little, you know, attaboy, go get them, you know, you get, go husband of mine, boyfriend of mine. We need that. That's what we need. Everything else is a want. We've talked about this before, okay? And so I need you all to think about, think about pa- the passionate lovemaking. Okay, thinking about that not as the main course of a relationship, not as an appetizer in a relationship, but as the dessert in a relationship. I know that's kind of weird to think about it like that, but to think about that as the dessert, it's super, super good, but, but, two things, really important, two things. You cannot live a healthy lifestyle on dessert alone. There is no long-term nutritional value in dessert. It's going to lead to long-term unhealth. Number two, dessert comes at the end of the meal. Okay, dessert comes at the end of the meal because if it comes at the start of the meal, then that's all you're going to think about. And the rest of the meal is going to kind of seem less than compared to the dessert you had at the beginning. And this is so important because I want you to ponder as we start making our way through the story, what would have happened if, if uh, Delilah and Samson would have treated this passionate love part of this story as the dessert not the main meal? What if they would have based their relationship based on a normal, healthy meal? It would have made an incredible difference, I think, in how this story went, but that's not where Samson's mind was, and that's not the boundaries that Delilah set. And so, when the rulers of the Philistines approached Delilah, as they did, they went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Delilah said what? Yes. What if their relationship would have been based on something different? Could it have made a difference and could it make a difference for you? Okay, mini message over. Now we're getting into the story, all right? 
Each one of us, they said, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver if you do this. Delilah says yes. So one passionate night, um, Delilah and Samson are talking, and she says to him, hey, Samson, you know, you know, give me the secret to your strength. And, and, and he says to her in kind of a daze, and he's all overcome with the emotion of it, okay? He says to her, if you find seven fresh bowstrings, I don't know where he got that, and you tie me up in seven fresh bowstrings, I will become as a normal as ever every other man. And so, you know, like the next day when he was drinking heavily and he fell asleep on the couch, she went in, tied him up and then yelled, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he wakes up and he breaks the bowstrings. And she's like, what in the world? You lied to me. You know, all this kinds of stuff. Delilah went to him and said, Samson, Samson, you have made a fool out of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied to which you sit there and think to yourself, hello, Samson, what do you think she's up to? Come on, man, get it through your head. Get it through your head. But does he get it through his head? No, because he's only got like one thing in his mind, and that's Delilah. And so he says to Delilah, Delilah, if you get some new rope, brand new rope, never used, okay, um, then you tie me up in that, I will become as weak as every other man. And so she does that when he's asleep again, and then says the Philistines are here. He wakes up, breaks the ropes, okay, and so she's really upset again. And then after another, you know, passionate night together, she's like, what's the secret of your strength against Samson? And that's exactly how she sounded. And, and he says to her, if you weave seven braids of my hair into a loom, so now he's getting really close, okay, you will make me as weak as every other man. So she does that, and then she wakes him up. Samson, the Philistines are here, okay? He gets up, and he breaks the loom, okay? And you're just thinking to yourself at this point, you know, geez, this guy is just as thick. I mean, like, what is his deal? Okay, but some of the men watching are like, you know, like they've been there, okay? And then she kind of gets annoyed with him, okay? This is the fourth time, right? So here's what she says. She says it kind of with an edge. You can kind of hear it. She says, how can you say, I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your strength. Now, ladies, don't get upset with the next part of this. This is in the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible, okay? With such nagging, she prodded him day after day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. I did not make this up. That is the exact quote, okay? After the drinking didn't work, the passion didn't work, but the nagging got him, okay? That is not the takeaway of the message. I just want to be clear. This is not permission, okay? Do not take this as God's word. Well, God's word says if I nag you long enough, okay, please. All right. So he finally tells her everything. Here's what he says. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated. Can you get this? He's saying this out loud. Listen to it. Dedicated to God from my mother's room. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as every other man. And this is the point of the story where you're just like, Samson, are the words not clicking for you, man? I mean, this is the point when you say, I am dedicated to God, where you think to yourself, maybe I should be making God-centered idea decisions in my life. This is the point in the story where, where we need to be listening up and saying to ourselves, what, what if I, what if I would use my gift, my body 
as something that is valuable to God? What if I would treat it as something valuable to be God, to God? What if I were called child of God? If I were called child of the most high, what if God would die for me because he loved me that much? That's how much I am valuable to him. What if you really trusted that? What if you really believed that? Do you think your life would be different? Do you think you'd use your gifts differently? Maybe you'd even see that you have incredible gifts. You would be able to then see beyond what's right in your own eyes and begin to see you and your gifts and its impact in the lives around you as gifts from God. So that night, Delilah cuts his hair. The spirit of God leaves him. The Philistines capture him. The first thing they do is they gouge his eyes out. I don't know, but maybe the last thing he saw was Delilah standing there, someone whom he says he loved, betraying him, even though, let's be honest, he should have seen it a mile away, probably more than a mile away. And they take him to prison where he eventually dies. And you can read the rest of the story on your own today, but he, he dies in a very dramatic way. And the author of Judges says essentially that he made more of a difference in his death and how he died than in his entire life. Is that what you want your legacy to be? That maybe in the last few years, you come to the realization that God wasn't trying to keep something from you. He was trying to be for you. And he was trying to get you to acknowledge that you have amazing blessings and amazing ability to impact the people around you and our world. And you just didn't want to see it because that would mean not doing what was right in your own eyes. That Samson indeed was an exceptionally blessed man, but he continued to live towards the desires of his body and lost it all in the process. The reason I want you to consider this, the reason I want you to do life differently than Samson, because what if, what if God wants to do something extraordinary through you, like he could have done through the life of Samson? You've maybe even thought about that before. What if you were superhuman? What if you had amazing abilities? You, you daydream about all the amazing things you do. And in so doing, you essentially are ungrateful for the amazing abilities that you do have. What if you're in a season of life where, where God in the next coming days, in the coming weeks, in the coming months, God is going to do something exceptionally meaningful through your life. Are you going to be ready? Is your heart, your mind, your body going to be ready for that? What if he's doing it right now? What if it is in progress? What if you don't even realize the work he's doing in you, setting you up for something incredible for 5, 10, 15 years down the road? What if he's trying to do something through you and you're just sitting there to yourself, well, I have my rights and I want my freedom. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you keep messing it up. And I get it. It is hard to control your body. It is hard to get our minds and our hearts wrapped around this idea because you don't see yourself as extraordinary. You don't see yourself as created by an extraordinary God. But the problem with that attitude is then why would you ever expect extra, 
ordinary outcomes. That maybe your body and your mind and your heart are being used in the wrong ways. Used, honestly, in inefficient ways. There's a part of you that probably knows that's true. That is being used towards money or hobbies or passions or status or control. And those ways will pass. And those ways really won't bring you what you're created to experience. I want to offer you a real quick perspective. And it's the perspective of Paul. He says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, I have the right to do anything you say. It's like he knows what we're thinking. You want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Samson, you want to do what you want to do. But everything, not everything is beneficial. Not everything that you want to do is actually beneficial. You want the best of both words. You want God's blessing, but you also, you want to be blessed and you want those blessings, but you also want to do what's right in your own eyes. Essentially, you want all the good stuff, but you don't want God to be a part of it. You want to do it on your terms. And Paul says, that's easy, but there's a catch. Not everything is beneficial. So he ends with this. Do you not know that your bodies, and he says, do you not know because the people he was talking to didn't know. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? In other words, that the same spirit that rested on Samson, that brought amazing gifts to Samson's life, can be in you too. That if you decide to follow Jesus, the spirit of God fills your heart. Why? Because God wants to do something extraordinary through you. We think in terms that God is going to take something from us. No, eventually we'll come to the place where we realize he's trying to keep bad things from us. He's trying to make sure we got our priorities right so we're not skipping ahead to dessert because the dessert is so enticing, but it doesn't necessarily make a healthy foundation for our lives. He wants something for us. He wants his presence to be a part of our lives, to think of our bodies as temples that God wants to reside in. Part of, the re, part of the solution to resolving that tension between what the body wants and what our heart knows is right is coming to the, the, the place in our hearts and our minds where we realize that our bodies aren't just meant to be used until they expire, until they become flawed or to mistreat our bodies. We are supposed to use them as temples for the presence of God himself. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, the price of Jesus' death. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Imagine if you trusted that your body was a temple to God. Not like an ego thing, like, oh, I'm a temple. But like, I'm worth this much to God. I'm this significant to God. It changes your life, it changes your lifestyle, it changes your outlook, and it changes what you're capable of. Imagine if everyone treated everyone else, especially in these days, especially with the tensions in our country, if everyone treated everyone like a temple of God, would you, if you knew everyone you came eyeball to eyeball with was a temple of God, would you be that quick to cause harm verbally or physically? if you knew you were desecrating the temple of the creator of the universe. What do you do? What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? What do you do? Are you going to keep on doing the same thing? Or are you going to keep on fighting for your rights? You know, your rights to do what's right in your own eyes and 
recognizing that it's never going to be enough? Or are you going to be grateful for the gift, the gifts you've been given? That really you've been given a lot and that you surrender that gift to the Father who created it. A Father in heaven who doesn't want something from you but wants something for you. When you do that, it begins to put your heart, your mind, and your body in alignment towards serving God. And it brings you into your actual purpose where you will experience the maximization of peace that passes all understanding as well as of your gifts and the impact that you can make in, in the world around you. It fills your life with the fruit of the spirit that you've probably heard about at weddings and things like that. It brings love and joy and goodness and kindness and peace and so much more. I hope that is the takeaway you get from the life of Samson. I'd love for you to discuss these questions with those maybe you're watching with today, but I'd also add, like to add two more. Why does our society celebrate people doing what's right in their own eyes? Why do we celebrate that? Why is it difficult to surrender to God what he wants to do in and through you? Why is it difficult to surrender to God and what he wants to do in and through you? So talk about that. Maybe take a cell phone picture of that. We'll post it online on social media so you can discuss that. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a dilemma that we know Christian or not. What do we do when our body wants what our heart knows is wrong? And Lord, wherever we are in our faith journey, in, the, in, in our life, in the season of life that we are, help us to wrestle with that. It is never too late to wrestle with that because it is never too late for God, for you to work, Lord, in our lives. It is never too late to, as we talked about last week, repent, to change paths, to begin anew following our creator. To experience the gifts we've been given as they were intended to be used. Lord, help us in our hearts and our minds to surrender to that. To take the idea that we could surrender our body to you to what you call us to. That we would maybe wake up every day, Lord, and we would pray, Lord, your will be done. Help the words that come out of my mouth, the actions of my hands, the steps that I take to be those that honor and glorify you. That are not just what is right in my own eyes, but are that which is right in yours. To recognize what I've been given, even as simple as it may seem, as our bodies. Help us to see those as gifts, whatever those look like, of our creator. And to see those as strengths and opportunities to serve you, to serve others, to love others better. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom to wrestle with these big, challenging, emotional topics and to take steps.